Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Listen now to God's word. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean, and you are clean. Sorry, lost my place. Though not all of you, for he knew who was to betray him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, Servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And as you're taking uh, your seat and settling in for a next. Uh, for these next few moments, I want to ask, uh, do a little informal poll here and ask the moms that are present among us, have you ever received an inappropriate Mother's Day gift? Raise your hand. We got all these gracious mothers here. They would never admit that, would they? Well, in a survey that was done a couple of years ago in 2017, 40% of moms said they had received unwanted Mother's Day gifts, but most were too, com- too polite to complain to their kids. Here's a partial list of the 30 worst Mother's Day gifts. One child gave his mother a stick of deodorant. Another gave a fire extinguisher. Another mom said she received a basket of cleaning supplies on Mother's Day. Another, an ironing board cover, salad dressing, popcorn, hair dye, mm, a screwdriver, and toilet paper. 
Another newspaper in 2016 ran an article titled 20 Awful Mother's Day Cards That You Absolutely Should Not Buy. One had a picture of a cell phone with 24 unanswered calls from mom on it. And then it said, Mom, thanks for always checking up on me. Another one said, Well, I guess this Mother's Day card is late. Looks like somebody wasn't raised properly. Ooh, ouch. And here's one that said, I'm awesome. You're welcome to the luckiest mom ever. And then finally, there was a picture of a laundry basket overflowing with clothes that was on the cover of the card and it said mom I love you loads and then opened it up on the inside and it said speaking of loads can you do my laundry (laughs) now one of my Facebook friends posted a cartoon on her page her Facebook page this week of a mom that was standing uh, on the front porch of the house with uh, a son and daughter And um, one of them says, Mom, we've hired a few people to fill in for you today while you relax on Mother's Day. And lined up across the yard were these persons. Uh, There was uh, a chef, a taxi driver, a housekeeper, a nurse, a teacher, a pastor, and a clown. (laughs) We, We all know, both mothers and those who benefit from their services, their love for us, that they are very, very busy. So we do honor moms today. And as we continue this series on what it means to serve, who better than moms could be an example for us of service? For we know that the women that have enriched our lives in these various roles that mothers have often are true servants. Um, This scripture that we look at this morning from John chapter 13 gives us the ultimate example of service in the life of Jesus. And I want you to listen again to verses 3 through 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off His outer robe, and tied a towel around Himself. Then He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel that was tied around Him. That one phrase really jumps out at me. Knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands. If God gave all things to you, put all things in your hands, what would you do with with such power? How would that kind of authority affect your behavior? Would you use it for good? Or would you use it to protect yourself and those you love? Would it it be for self-advancement that you would use this power and this authority? It's hard to say, isn't it? Because when we stop and think about it, power is very intoxicating. And the more privilege, the more power, the more wealth that we accumulate, the more likely we are to use it for ourselves. You remember our, our sermon from a couple of weeks ago on Mark chapter 10? It was this very interesting encounter that Jesus had with um, these two sons, James and John. Their mother was with them. And the scripture tells us that, that she, along with her boys, were asking for a position, for positions of privilege in the kingdom of God. One wanted to be on Jesus' right and the other on his left. 
And this question, this request made by James and John and their mom generated a lot of of conversation among the disciples. In fact, the scripture says they got into an argument over who was the greatest among them. And that's when Jesus took this opportunity to say to them, hey, you know how the world's most powerful people oppress others and take care of themselves first? He said that's not the way it should be and that's not the way it will be for each one of you. So I ask you again, if God gave you, if He gave all things into your hands, your hands, what would you do with such power? What did Jesus do with that power? John 13 tells us that he disrobed. He got down on his knees. He washed and dried his disciples' feet. And in another act of self-disclosure, Jesus pulls back the veil on his messianic identity as God's suffering servant. He showed himself to be a different kind of Messiah. He showed us into the heart of God the Father in that we see here in this this account uh, the humility of God front and center in the way Jesus approaches His disciples, treats His disciples, cares cares for His disciples in the final uh, hours of His life before He's betrayed and He goes to the cross. This story took on particular meaning for me uh, after we uh, spent a couple of years in Cambodia. We moved there in 2005, and uh, I quickly abandoned socks and shoes when I moved there because of the oppressive heat and humidity. I wore sandals all the time. But I tell you, it was really hard on my feet. I had cracked heels. I developed uh, toenail fungus. I had athlete's foot. Uh, my feet got grimy and dirty. And, and, and they hurt a lot, too, from walking on these very rocky, filthy streets of Phnom Penh. It gave me an insight into what it was like for the early disciples as they walked on similar surfaces throughout the city of Jerusalem and in the countryside. Uh, This is uh, a good insight into what it must have been like to be a Middle Eastern man. Uh, Their feet were bound to be in really poor condition And it explains in part why there was uh, foot washing a part of everybody's daily routine. In fact, there were three reasons why feet feet were washed in first century Judaism. One was personal hygiene. The second was an act of hospitality when you welcome someone into your home. And the third one was a religious uh, ritual. And it seems that all three are at work here in the upper room. Now, normally, if you were a guest at someone's house, the host would provide someone to wash your feet. It could not be a Jewish slave, for the rabbis had forbidden Jewish slaves to wash the feet of fellow Jews. But if they had a Gentile slave, that was okay. Or it may be they had a very subservient wife who was willing to wash the feet of the guest. And if she wasn't willing, then the kids were put to work. Or you may have washed your own feet if it was a family that that actually did not have servants. Jesus' actions here in John 13 within the context of the first century in, in, in Israel was truly bizarre. It was another one of those radical 
uh, upside-down principles of God's kingdom that was being taught through the example of Jesus. Here we see the humility of God on full display when Jesus gets down on His knees in the most dramatic way possible and He serves His disciples. Now, we believe as Christians that God became flesh and blood. He came and dwelt among us, as as John chapter 1 says. He was incarnate of the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary and lived among us as the Son of the living God, as the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But, But He also not only became a human being, He condescended to the lowest status, the lowest levels of society. And this is another example of this here in John 13. Jesus removes His outer garments, which was an act of servitude and submission. And then this radical humility goes on display when the Master cares for the disciple rather than the disciple serving the Master. As you recall from the Old Testament, it was Elisha who tended to the needs of his master, Elijah. It was Joshua who who took care of of his aging mentor, of, of Moses. But here in the upper room, there's this striking rebuke to the twelve as Jesus washes their feet. Because according to Luke chapter 22, at this same moment, In the upper room, when the Lord's Supper was was being instituted, the disciples were once again arguing over who was number one. So this encounter was very important uh, to John's understanding of the life of Jesus. In fact, no other gospel tells us about foot washing. And he does so with great detail. Uh, He gives us some insight into this... uh, this practice, which was ordinary, a day-to-day thing that the Jews did for one another and for themselves. They washed their dirty feet. But here the absurdity of it is highlighted in the fact that, that Peter is somewhat outraged. He's indignant over the fact that Jesus wants to wash his feet. And because this was so contrary to cultural norms of that day, Peter is understandably defiant. But Jesus says to him, unless I wash you, you have no share. You have no relationship with me. So Simon Peter insists, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Peter is as emphatic in that breath as he was in the other. Except now he is asking for a bath. He is asking to be washed because he, he values his connection, his relationship with Jesus. And Jesus goes on to indicate here that this washing of Peter's feet is the equivalent of a bath. Foot washing is a parable of a greater cleansing that will come in the atonement, in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that is symbolized in our baptism. But ultimately, what, what we need to see is that foot washing here in John, is an expression of the intimate relationship that God offers us with Himself through His Son. He draws near to us as a humble God. Uh, It's been several years ago when 
uh, Rowan Williams was the Archbishop of Canterbury, and, and he broke with 400 years of tradition, and on Monday, Thursday, during Holy Week, he reinstituted the washing of feet in the Anglican church. He had 12 church members with him uh, in a very uh, sacred setting that night. And they ranged in age from, I think it was like nine years of age up into, up into the 70s. And he washed every single one of their feet. He took off his, his elaborate uh, archbishop's robe. And underneath was this simple white garment. And he knelt down in front of every single one of them and did something that was very controversial at the time and not the norm for an archbishop in the Anglican church. Pope Francis has done a similar thing every year during Holy Week. He has visited a prison and washed the feet of, of prisoners. And it's the closeness, this closeness of drawing near, of touching and handling someone's feet that is so discomforting because it overturns that conventional thinking about, you know, who God is and, and who His Son is. And it also affects how we think about one another, how we are to relate to one another in Christian community. Only someone who is secure in his or her identity can humble themselves in this manner and can become a servant. Now, unlike us, Jesus was not threatened by foot washing. I remember the first time I participated in a foot washing. I was a student at the uh, uh, School of Theology at Emory University, Candler School of Theology, and I was there for two weeks as part of a course of study program. And this was back in the late 1980s, and, and I was a young man struggling with my understanding what the role of women uh, you know, was in the church, and whether women should be ordained as pastors, etc. And uh, my teacher, my preaching teacher for those two weeks was a female. And her name was uh, Helen Pearson, and she, she was a wonderful teacher. And as we spent day after day with her in the classroom, uh, my heart began to soften. And on the last day of class, we gathered there in the chapel, and we had a foot washing. I'd never participated in one previously. And I don't know if she sensed my discomfort with her or, or if it was just, you know, an act of God, but she came to me to wash my feet. And I, in turn, had to wash hers. And there was something inside of me that was broken in that moment. It was a humiliating and humbling experience to be kneeled down in front of this woman washing her feet just as Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Um, I wonder, I wonder if, if, the, if, if the nature of foot washing, it requires so much humility and vulnerability from us. I, I wonder if, if it's because of the nature of foot washing that the church abandoned the practice um, some three to four hundred years after the time of Jesus. There are a few churches, traditions that practice foot washing today, but most find it unsettling and they want to avoid it. But we, we cannot deny that it's an equalizer. It brought Jesus way, way down to the place of a servant. It confronts our pride. It demands humility and vulnerability. And Jesus said here in verse 12 to the disciples, He said, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right 
because it is true. And since I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. And this verb in the Greek that's translated ought, it means to owe. Because Jesus got down on his feet or on his knees and washed the feet of the disciples. Uh, we owe it to the rest of, the huma uh, of humanity and to one another, especially within the body of Christ, to have a similar attitude of humility and vulnerability with one another. I, I think in a sense what Jesus is saying here is because you have chosen to follow me, you have no choice but to humble yourself and to serve one another. Servants are not greater than their master, he says. And it was the master who became a servant. Voluntarily, by choice, he humbled himself. So what kind of servant are you seeking to be in your home, in your marriage, with your children, with your grandchildren? What kind of servant are you in the workplace, even if you're the boss, the owner of the business? What kind of servant are you in your role in this congregation? Some of you are in positions of influence and leadership. How are you serving those who are on those teams, those committees with you uh, day after day, month after month throughout the year? What unpleasant task, what unthinkable act of love might be the equivalent of washing feet for you in the lives of others, those that are in your life? In verse 17, Jesus says, If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. We, we are not even doing it, are we? <laughs> not literally, but perhaps figuratively, symbolically, we can wash feet. And maybe, just maybe, we need to do it literally. I, I remember my very first year here uh, scheduling um, a foot washing on Monday, Thursday and there were like two or three people that showed up, and I was really embarrassed. And I haven't tried it since. Um, but I did in my little rural parish at Burge Memorial, United Methodist Church, have, my, have a lay leader, his name was Malcolm. Malcolm came to me and he said, Preacher, we need to have a foot washing during Holy Week this year. I said, well, I don't know, Malcolm, I've never done one before. I, I don't know if anybody will show up. And he says, well, I'll come, I'll be there. And that little church of like 25 people on a Sunday morning, they all showed up. Every one of them. And when I gave the invitation to wash feet, how many do you think came down front? We had the women on one side and the men on the other. How many do you think came down? Every single one of them. I was blown away. And it was such a powerful experience for me then, and I think it could be today for all of us. Jesus says, if you know these things are true, you will be blessed if you do them. If we humble ourselves and take on this role of a servant, of a slave, within the body of Christ and in the world. And who understands this better than moms, right? Uh, moms know about being servants. May not always do it with the right attitude, right? Sometimes it's a struggle but being a good and faithful mother requires a daily discipline of self-denial and service, doesn't it, ladies? Somebody needs to say amen to that. Come on. 
I mean, yeah, certainly, if, if, you, if you are a successful mom, you are a servant to your family. And that is a God-ordained role, no question about it. I've got a suggestion for you on how you can apply this service of worship to your Mother's Day as you go home today. Uh, those of you that are um, grown-up kids, offer to rub your mother's feet. Maybe some husbands would, would rub mom's feet, put some lotion on their feet or some oil. Uh, just spend some time telling them how grateful you are for them. Maybe you dads could push the kids a little bit to, to uh, kind of put some lotion on mom's hands and as they hold her hands, tell her all the reasons why they're grateful for her life. I held the hand of my dying mother for the last time the night of her death back in August. And um, it was surprisingly warm. I, I knew she was getting close to death and wouldn't be with us but a few more hours. In fact, she died six hours later but it was so swollen and uh, i was just profoundly sad as i contemplated life without her but i began to feel some joy well up in me as the holy spirit spoke to me and and basically reminded me of all the good that this hand had done during her 81 years of living this was the same hand that as a little girl was taught to pray by her godly grandparents. This was the same hand that caught crawfish in the waters of a cold mountain stream in eastern Kentucky. This was the same hand that vainly tried to untie a big old knot in a rope that her grandparents had tied around her waist to keep her from running away when she was outside in the front yard playing. This is the same hand that my dad had held when they eloped as teenagers, 17 and 18 years, years of age, they, they, they ran off to Waycross, Georgia to get married. It was the same hand that held my bottles and changed my diapers as a very young 20-year-old mom. It was the same hand that spanked my bottom until finally she turned it over to dad because I started laughing because it didn't hurt anymore. <laughs> it was the same hand that wrote me a, a thank you note Every single time I gave her anything in perfect cursive. It's the same hand that searched the pages of her grandmother's Bible for the promises of God that she underlined during times of trial and trouble. And it was the same hand that, that graded thousands of pages of schoolwork as a, as a fourth grade school teacher for 25 years. And the same hand that brought shoes and, and food and clothing for some of the neediest kids in her classroom during that career. It was the same hand that joyfully held my firstborn son who was the first of her many grandchildren that brought her great joy until the last day of her life. And it was the same hand that held me and stroked my face weeks before her death as she reminded me how much she loved me. And it was the same hand, I believe, that reached out for the hand of Jesus when he uh, lovingly said to her, Dawn, your struggle is over. Uh, it's time to fly away with me and leave this earthly life behind. And I also, by faith, believe it's the same hand that embraced the loved ones, like those godly grandparents and her mother and so many others that had gone before 
when she crossed the river of life and arrived on heaven's shore. I silently prayed to God, thanking Him for my mother's hand that night, and then I, I let it go. And I know, I know, because of the blessed assurance that Jesus gives us, that my mother has been restored and made whole. She's probably tending God's flower garden in heaven. And I will see her again someday. One of my mother's favorite hymns was one that the band sang at the beginning of this hour of worship. Precious Lord, take my hand. And the last stanza says this, When the darkness appears and the night draws near, and the day is past and gone, at the river I stand, God, my feet hold my hand, take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.